You're listening to a special edition of Midori House, first broadcast on the 10th of April 2019 on Monocle 24. Midori House is brought to you in association with Hyundai. And welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Salone del Mobile in Milan. I'm Tom Edwards. Today's the first in a series of very special episodes of the programme brought to you in association with our friends at Hyundai that we're broadcasting to our audience around the world every day through till Sunday from Monocle's vantage point here at Opificio Trentuna in Tortona here in Milan. Every day we'll be joined by a panel of very special guests. Today we're going to be talking, amongst other things, about design and emotion. We'll ask whether some important experiential design elements like colour, sound, tactility, even charm are sometimes overlooked in the digital era. Our guests will explore how emotional and personal connections are the driver of great design and product development and delve into why something that's beautiful to look at and interact with maybe matters more now than ever before. My guests today are Diana Kloster, Alex Colantonio and Andre Rodriguez and we'll hear insights from Julius Wiedemann and Christoph Armand too. All that ahead here on Midori House, live from Milan, with me Tom Edwards. A very warm welcome to you, uh, to Midori House. Let me set the scene a little. The sun is setting. It's a kind of a nice evening, a little cooler today uh, here in Tortona, but it's very uh, nice to have you with us wherever in the world uh, you are. Uh, we've got a, a building. The, the facade of the building is peeling off next to us. It's not a crisis. It's an installation. Um, here, sitting alongside me, taking in the view and the ambience, is Diana Kloster, head of Hyundai Color Team. Uh, Diana, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. And I wanted to start by talking about colour and meaning. You look resplendent today in green, perfect for, for springtime. Um, you're a believer in, I guess, what? The, the, the meaning of colour, colour's power to do more than just be two dimensions. It's something more than that. I mean, uh, colours will be, um, the meaning of colours will be increased in the future because um, we found out uh, that colors are responsible for people's emotions. Mm. Um, you can, uh, what I always say when you look around, you you can do with a splash of yellow, uh, lighten up a place. You you can have different types of or shades of gray, and this can design a space, or a touch of pink. Look at you! Can make people smile. <laughs> Indeed, it's like my colleague's trousers. Um, and then, what about green? Quite calming. We talk about the green room that people sit in before a broadcast. Is this? Are you feeling? Are you feeling calm, Diana? Of course, because um, <laughs> as you know, people are sitting the whole day in front of screens. Yeah, we have our mobile phones. We are sitting in front of computers over the day. Then in the evening, again, maybe an iPad or a television. So, what is really important is um, that people are a little bit bothered because of this and um, when they are sitting more and more in front of screens it is so the connection to the nature is a, is a big need yeah which is coming from deep inside that you would like to be connected that's even in in my opinion the reason why SUVs are very successful because even when you are in a city stocked in a traffic jam in Seoul or in Shanghai you have the feeling you are outdoor and um, so connect the nature is something where green will increase. But people, as you know, especially in Europe, they are always scared to buy a green car because in the moment when they buy the car, they are thinking, how can I sell it? 
Yeah, so that's the kind of strange back-to-front thinking people have. Um, let me ask about your your own design sensibility. I suppose is it? Do you, do you have a do you have a German design sensibility? Is it is it your is it your own? Is it unique? I must say, I lived the last ten years before I joined Hyundai in China, so my German, uh, let's say, <laughs> responsibility for color is. It's a little bit less. I'm more related to the to the Asian market, but uh, due to the fact that uh, in Hyundai we are responsible for all over the world, the colors all over the world, the materials all over the world, and we have our uh, studios in India, in America, Europe, and China and Japan. So um, we get the influence from there. We are discussing because. Hyundai needs to have a language, um, a concern language, and so we need to adjust and and find a common thread for all over the world's colors. And of course, as Hyundai, as a as a car manufacturer, a global car manufacturer, you have to take care about customers' needs and behaviors all over the world, and this is sometimes different. Well, one of our big themes this week, and certainly today, we're looking at is emotion and how emotion impacts on design, and, and vice versa, of course. Um, do you have to factor in to your thinking people who make purely emotional decisions about design? Because presumably, ultimately, it is an emotional reaction, right? Yes. And I mean, um, the way you as a designer make people feel well, so designing emotions, um, that is always one of our biggest uh, motivation. Because the future is definitely feeling. And um, to provide more and more meaningful experiences, um, it is so we are working on what kind of experiences our cars create. And this is definitely related to, um, to emotion because experience, um, they will be seen as a positive aspect um, by what kind of emotions they evoke. So sitting in a car and um, have maybe, or sitting in something soft and, or touching something natural or very smooth, um, this evokes an emotion. And um, I think this is always a very nice aspect uh, for a design. Finally, the product you are, you are doing must feel right. This is functionally and visually, but even emotionally. Um, now, it's interesting, you, you keep re- referencing the, the natural world and nature, which I guess that might surprise some people and say, oh, well, that's not necessarily the first thing I might think of with, with a, a big player in automotive. But actually, Hyundai's very interested in this idea of really engaging with the environment, taking some real meaningful responsibility. And you and I were talking before about this and not just talking about, say, sustainability, which yeah. is a bit of a buzzword, but really doing something about it. Presumably that must give you a great deal of satisfaction. Of course. Um, I mean, our company is really taking care a lot of sustainability and um, we have thanks God in Korea a lot of Korean supplier who are supporting here very well everyone has an interest to do something for the environment because everything what we are doing how we live our lives what we eat what we buy this all has an ongoing impact to the planet but even to our well-being and um, the well-being is is even something which is connected to the nature but um, I mean walk around here uh, so many so many items are related to sustainability and save the planet and I think it's it's really more than time to think about deeply what is really important and uh, important is to save the planet because that's the place where where we are 
Um, and, and I guess there's also a sort of a joined up bit of thinking here about how uh, whether these big companies, whether it's an automotive or, or other big big players, uh, maybe they're in manu- other parts of manufacturing, they need to kind of, I don't know what the word is, recalibrate themselves and start considering themselves also as guardians of people's yeah. lifestyle, healthy living, the way people are prosecuting their, their lives. Is that is that a responsibility, presumably, that you are, are happy to take on? It's interesting for you as a, as a designer, as a thinker about this. Of course. Um, I mean, our, our biggest goal is always to take care about customers' behavior and needs. Um, and customers' behavior and needs, um, this is something um, we found out of hundreds of emotional states, the need for peace is one of the biggest. So nearly everybody wants to be soothed and calmed um, and and be happier. And this is uh, where we can influence a little bit. So when we when we do our cars, first is we need to listen to the voice of our customer, what they are saying, what are their behavior, what are their needs. And um, this is, of course, only emotion and only feeling. Um, The point is brands need to learn to speak to people's hearts as well as to their heads. I mean, even when this sounds a little bit over the border, but um, values are no facts. They are feelings. Um, And tell me a little bit about, uh, well, I guess your your approach as we look to the to the future. what are some of the other big challenges that you're most... I mean, are you, are you an obsessive? Are you always thinking about what the next challenge is going to look like? Because we're, we're talking about some pretty big picture things, mm-hmm. looking after the world, adapting to people's uh, changing lifestyles. Um, big enough challenges, one might say. Mm-hmm. Are you already on the next, the next problem and the one after that? Of course, we always have to focus the future. That means when I'm sitting here, we have to be related what's going on uh, two years uh, in, in two years. And uh, we have there a nice collaboration with uh, Lee Edelcourt, who is one of the most important trend forecasting persons in this planet. And uh, it's always interesting to listen to her seminars because she's related to lifestyle issues and mind style issues all over the world. And um, so this is nice to know. And uh, from that start point out, uh, you can design colors or materials which are um, yeah, matching perfect the mindset of people in the future. So like I said before, uh, colors can have an influence. They can make people more happier. They can energize. It depends. And uh, when we are talking about the, the need for peace, then of course you can do something with a calming atmosphere. And the car is the third place to be. So you're at home, you're in the office, and in between you're maybe in a car, if not in a metro or something, or an e-scooter. But uh, when you're sitting in the car you uh, and go from the office to your home, you would like to close the doors. And then maybe you would like to calm down before you are entering your home and be with your family. So here we can do a lot as color and trim designers, or even as interior designers, because the interior will definitely be more important in the future when we are talking about autonomous driving than today. And that means it is changing from a real automotive thing to a more lounge or living room atmosphere. So here we can react with with very nice uh, and smooth materials, of course sustainable. I like a lounge on wheels. That sounds good to me. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, Lee Edelcourt there, and we actually heard from her mm-hmm. earlier this week. We had a, a panel which uh, Tyler from Monocle was was involved with as well. Um, 
lots of challenging ideas from from Leo Court. She's unafraid of yeah. uh, challenging the conventional wisdom, the status quo. Do you find that there are maybe a, a lot of designers, maybe too many, who are maybe a bit risk averse, scared of challenging received wisdom, or is that is that not a problem? What do you think? I mean, uh, it is always a little bit, um, let's say, a sink because um, the times are changing so fast and it is in the moment um, yeah, very unstable, let's say. Yeah, it's going today in this direction, tomorrow in another one. And um, you have to be careful what you are doing. And because we don't have a glass bowl where we can see direct the future and can react. So that is, that is on one hand scary, but on the other hand, um, it's not nothing better for a designer than the gate is open and you can do something new, create the new industrial era new. It's a, that is a big challenge. Yes, but absolutely. You seem, you seem scary, pretty, you seem but pretty sanguine about it. Just finally, uh, Dana, you were talking about finding some calm, finding a refuge, mm. finding some peace. Uh, can you find any peace here in uh, Milan this week? It's pretty busy. Uh, not really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and any secrets? Do you sometimes steal off for, for a moment just to find a no, little No, I mean, Milan is, is always one of the most inspiring weeks at all uh, and we really love to be here and uh, as you can see in in every small corner people are talking about the same issues and have the same mindset so I think uh, this is a power um, it starts here maybe in this little area and it has an influence and an impact to the whole world and it is really important to to take care about what matters so saving the planet, do something for the environment must be our priority number one. And uh, react on, on a nice, calming, soothing atmosphere for our customers is another thing. So we really need to, to focus on what can do the, the customer's life more happier, more, more nicer, more comfortable, or even more successful. Perfect. Well, we'll host you on that ambition <laughs> as lovely as it is uh, Diana great to speak with you thanks very much thank you very much uh, for, for being, being with us uh, here on our, our special Midori House programme now we've been uh, meeting many old friends making some new ones all this week uh, and catching up with some people from uh, uh, from well, Monocle's various global outposts and other businesses that have stopped by to say hi to us and we've got a couple of voices familiar probably to our listeners around the world and we've been asking them the same question about the role that emotion plays in their work and in the world of design more broadly. Let's hear from a couple of them now. We'll start with Julius uh, Wiedemann. He's a senior editor at Taschen. Here he was explaining his take on the, the emotional facets of design. I think emotional responses, they are a fundamental part of this, how we respond you know, to, to stimulations. And, but I think one thing doesn't exclude the other. And I think this is the difference between design in a sense and uh, and I would include architecture and art you know you, you can be you keep you can be very technical in a design and you still have create incredible emotional experiences I think it is a challenge because like everything in life some people do that better than others and what you come to a place like this and you're trying to find the best ones you know you hope of course to have a display of the best ones it's not always I think obvious that you know I saw some stuff that I I thought like a very ordinary like stuff that I saw like five years before 
that I've seen you know in a much earlier stage in, in the design development but others is like well you know this is really mind-blowing someone really stopped and thought about but and it's still emotional so I think the design has this duality that is the form and function or form follows function but there's also the whole emotional field that is human and will always be a you know, connected to that. It, it can be through color, it can be through form, it can be even through a function as well. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of functionality for giving people stimulation, emotional uh, stimulation. So I, I think, in essence, one thing doesn't exclude the other. And I think good designers, they exactly, they manage both really well. Uh, thanks to Julius. Well, let's go to another good friend of Monocle now, Christoph Armand from Zeit magazine, who also paid us a visit earlier this week. Christoph spoke to me and to Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule, about his belief that we go to the great fairs like Salone not strictly for business, but also to make emotional connections. Fairs are interested in content because why do we go to Salona? Well, we don't go to Salona because of the fair itself. We go to Salona because you can hang out with people, you can meet people, you can run into people that you don't know, be inspired by new ideas. And that's why people travel to these kind of melting points these days. They mm. don't want to you know, spend the whole day in halls with no but, so light. I mean, it's interesting. So you're, here you are doing a fashion event brought to you by Mesta Frankfurt in Berlin. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the play is for them? Is it just an awareness to come to and, and reminding people that you can go to Frankfurt and you can go to a book fair? Or well, they're actually doing business in Berlin. Okay. So Mesta so Frankfurt is actually running a fair about sustainable fashion during Berlin Fashion Week. But of course, they're interested in content, in, in sort of the people we bring in and the talks that we are having. And that's, I think that's the same with our Cologne. They're interested in bringing us, you know, bringing in new people and having great talks about art. Like Tino Segal is coming, Hans Ulrich, Obrist is coming from London, and so yeah, it's just, I think it's 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 that that's why they are interested in, in in doing this. At the heart, though, I guess of all of these great media brand stories, which have these multi-platform elements, there's always print. We're talking about oh, the, yeah, the, the pleasing appeal, enduring appeal of analog. Paper, yeah. um, tell us a bit about Design Stable, because I'm always excited about your international uh, edition. We've got the sort of the men's magazine as well, and again, you guys would publishing more magazines. Yeah. That was the answer to the kind of digital quandary. <laughs> and I guess that's still, it's paying off, it's working. Tell us yeah. a bit about how, I mean, the, the state of the nation. So, so, so well, the, our main focus obviously is the main, is the weekly magazine that comes with Zeit, Zeit magazine. But we've also launched a couple of spin-offs, like as you mentioned, the International Issue, which is a biannual, the best that we do for the weekly, uh, combined with some uh, exclusive editorial also, we launched Zeit Magazine Mann, a biannual men's magazine. But then, more or less by accident, we also launched a line of city magazines, which happened because I was sitting with some people in our publishing house in Hamburg, and they were talking about the local market in Hamburg and how they could deal with the local market there. And then I just had this idea of, why don't we launch a city version of Zeit Magazine called Zeit Magazine Hamburg? And we did it as an experiment, as a one-off. And circulation went up that week. Ads were sold quite well, so we thought, like, why don't we turn this into a regular thing? So starting off in Hamburg, we've launched Zeitmagazin Hamburg, which is a supplement magazine in Zeit. Then we went to Munich, launched Zeitmagazin München. And last year, we went to Frankfurt, launching Zeitmagazin Frankfurt. And this year, we're doing our first island issue. So we're going to the German Hamptons. 
silt in June. Uh, thanks to Christophe, a great friend of Monaco, Christophe Armand. You can hear the full conversation between Christophe and uh, Julius as well with Tyler and myself on our print media focus program, The Stack, uh, which will premiere as always this weekend. Right now you're listening to a very special edition of Midori House with me, Tom Edwards, live here at Solane in Milan. But we're going to head... Well, to Brazil now, effectively. A bit of a Brazilian takeover has happened in the, inter- in the interim. Uh, publishers Alex Colantonio and Andre Rodriguez recently launched a brand new title in their market called Popsi, a giant tome with more than 600, yes, count them, 600 pages, and an equally ambitious scope covering themes from popular culture to architecture. And just to add a little more Brazilian flavour to proceedings, our producer, Fernando Augusto Pacheco is here as well. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming to see us and thanks for bringing your magazine. It's a, it's a monster. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. It's sure have. You must have what, was your, what was your baggage? You must have yeah. had to bring, bring like 10, 10 extra suitcases. Um, I'll start with you, Andre. Why did the world need another new print magazine and why did it need this one? I believe uh, a magazine, a printed magazine, differently from everything that you find and see online because it is a physical object, it has a different interaction, a different interplay with people because you can touch it, you can smell it, you can feel it, the textures, the, the paper changing and you don't need to save any links for later, to, to read later and it's easier to understand the content because your eyes control everything that you have in your hands when you are uh, browsing through a magazine. It's different from a website, you have a lot of links open at the same time, you don't even know where things are coming from, you don't know the sources, you have a lot of fake news going around, and magazines, printed magazines specifically, they are expensive to make, so they are usually made by people who have some know-how about that. Journalists are qualified to deal with content differently from people who are on internet just because they, they have an account and they want to say what they want. And we are not doing what we want exactly. We are doing what we believe is necessary. Because it is necessary now, I have to say, because when, I, when you look at the Brazilian newsstand, the magazines are becoming a bit slim. And, but there was a market for it because it was a success. Was it sold out, the first issue? Yeah, it right? was. Popsy was a huge hit as it was released last year and the market absorbed it instantly because it needed a title like this, a title that is collectible, that is not shallow, that is not something fickle that that you can't uh, actually, you can't involve yourself with. Pops mm. is different, it engages with you, so you feel attached to it. It's difficult to let go of an object this size. And well, it's a beautiful decoration too. So. It is, it's, yeah. a thing, it's a thing of beauty. And I, I feel almost that my, the question I was gonna ask you next is, is redundant because of your evident passion for this project. And that was gonna be about our theme today, which is about emotion and design and emotion in not just the design of a magazine, its art direction, but in its very creation. But your, your passion is so evident to, to hear. Thank you. Is, is, there, is there a bit of a, I don't know if it's a cliche, we have Brazilians sat around this table. Oh, well, yes, all Brazilians are, are driven by emotion. Is that, is that, but is there a bit of a truism to that? Or is, I, is it a truth? I believe so, but I don't think it's because of the weather. I don't think it's because of the beaches. People, they tend to connect things that are not connected. I believe Brazil... I actually know that Brazil was formed by immigrants that came from all around the world, so it's a mixed country. I am mixed, Alex is mixed, Fernando is mixed. We are all mixed races. And because of that, I believe people, they get more attached 
to each other. They connect more because they they actually need others more than people who have been established for centuries in places. Uh, you have to understand that everybody who arrived in Brazil, they arrived in a place that was a jungle full of things that they never saw here, full full of civilizations that were living there for centuries also, and they were exterminated by the people who got there. So I believe these dynamics, they define our warmness. We are warm and welcoming because we have to be. It was like a survival strategy of our ancestors. We couldn't fight with each other. Well, can I just ask you one thing then? Because Fernando and I track sort of brand Brazil and its values and its challenges. Let's be fair, recently with the, with the, the current administration, there are some, some challenges to that. We, we, kind of the opposite, really, of that warm welcome. I mean, is this a political publication? Are you motivated to try and restate those, those values that you've described so eloquently already? Is it, is it kind of, is it, is it political in character? It is totally political. Uh, we worked with a cover that is very pop, the colors, the actress is very famous and the picture is beautiful. But when you open the magazine, it's a different world. All the stories that we publish, all the interviews, all the texts, they are absolutely absolutely politized. Does that word exist? Very political, very engaged in behavior, new behavior. So we talk about tra transgenders, we talk about anti-racism because we are anti-racists we are feminists and we believe women need to have their place in the world immediately so we talk about all these things and we talk about design we talk about our architecture arts but always uh, sprinkling this political thing that we believe is important we have to touch people's heart and change their minds. If we want to see a transformation in the world, you first have to change how people think. And the only way to change how people think is by uh, transmitting new knowledge to them, like exchanging information. That's the only way. You have to change the mind first, and then you change the world. I'm looking around. I feel there should be a round of applause from our friends here at Totoro. <laughs> this, is, this is inspiring stuff, Andre. Now, tell me a little bit about, just to change tack slightly, this idea of, we've had some great guests already this week who are uh, committed multidisciplinarians. You know, they're an architect and a designer and a publisher. And, you know, you guys are kind of similar, right? I mean, yeah. do you have a, is there an overriding passion? Because you've got incredible, there's an, an unbelievable book that makes this magazine yeah. look, like, <laughs> look like a single piece of paper. It's so impressive in its scale. Um, are you most passionate about publishing, about design, about everything? Or, or is it just, you're, you're complete, you're very Catholic about it. What's, what's your... We've always been passionate about these things, about art, about writing. I've written since I was a kid. Alex, who's my partner, has written since he was a kid. I draw things since I was a kid. So... Uh, when we grow up and we became journalists and we met each other, we sort of decided to do something different. And uh, it comes from inside us. It's not a strategy thing that we developed. It is pure and sheer truth. We let our hearts speak for us. But of course we have to deal with the market things, we have to pay the bills and all that. But we always try to let our heart lead the way. 
I don't want to sound too nosy, but what are you guys doing in Milan, actually? Because is it is it a source of inspiration for you, this uh, Salone del Mobile? Definitely, yeah. We come here every year for online coverage, and then we publish some things in the printed material, too. But uh, the Salone is not the best thing for us because it is very commercial. So what we like, actually, is how the city changes and how people from all around the world come here and meet each other and you make a lot of connections and you get to know different people and different experiences and different knowledges come to you and you can give your knowledge to people too. That's the best of Milan. It's the only place in the world currently where you can find design and architecture people united during a whole week doing a lot of stuff together. It's amazing for us. All the time. Exactly. And I just wonder, is that, a, is that a problem that it is so laser focused and it's, it can maybe seem a little insular to, to some observers from without the community here? Um, how, do we, how do we bleed that design influence, the design language out into the wider, wider world? Because you sometimes feel whether you look at urban planning or city government or big corporations who are working that maybe they don't engage deeply enough with a design language. Do, do you think that is a, an issue? I, I think so, yeah, but I think that's changing already because people are having more contact with design content because of internet and then internet is more important than the printed material in that sense because it reaches a wider audience and people are getting to know more about design and they are getting more interested and engaged with design. Companies and uh, big companies actually and people too and I believe that's changing. It used to be like that. And also you have resources like we did in Popsy. You put a very famous actress on the cover and it's like a bait. You throw <laughs> it and people buy it. And when they open it, they say, okay, it's not only the actress. And even the actress, the interview is very intense. She talks about everything, drugs and sex and all her life. See, because I, I was not particularly familiar. Fernanda gave me the, the short history. Yeah. And yeah Iconic. She, she's, she's had a pretty yeah. sort of turbulent, uh, turbulent, car turbulent career. Yeah. Um, let's put a, an, an eye towards the future. I mean, I don't want to move away from celebrating the, the first True. issue. True. Uh, second issue is already on the way. Uh, what are you most excited about as we look further ahead into 2019? In what sense? Well, the next projects, you other choose. places you're going, where's your, the, next, the next big ch chunk of inspiration, where's it going to come from? As uh, we have a minister in Brazil called Damaris, and we don't like her, we didn't we didn't vote for her. I didn't vote for that president either. He's not my president. Nobody likes, nobody likes them, and in the world, I think. And Damaris, this woman, she uh, she made a very terrible statement that boys should wear blue and girls should wear pink. And she did that in a very intense video. She was actually celebrating that moment. Like, now boys are gonna wear blue and girls are gonna wear pink and that's it. And our reaction to that is our next cover. We are working with a transgender, very famous musician from Brazil. Uh, actually the most famous transgender musician in Brazil. It, he's actually a drag queen. He, she is actually a drag queen. And we are working with the, the two colors, blue and pink. So he is undressed as a boy wearing pink and she is dressed as a girl wearing blue. So there is the inversion of values and these colors, the interplay of the colors to send a message to the minister and to all people that people wear whatever color they want to wear. And that's not going to define who you are. Your uh, sexual... Today. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Your uh, sexual organs do not define your sexuality. And that's what we want to, to say in our next issue. We also have a very big story about 
That's it. Alex is showing the culvert. Nobody saw that. <laughs> oh, this is exciting. So this I was excited today. enough about issue one. <laughs> we got this picture today. Come in here. This is going to fly off newsstands yeah. wherever we go. Well, what's extraordinary is we began this program today by talking about the power of color and using color positively to make positive difference to people's I heard lives. It, yeah. And we've wrapped up by talking the same thing, the power of yeah. color. And in the right hands, like yours, uh, gentlemen, it can do amazing things. It's done it with Popsy. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming Thank you for uh, to speak with us. And that does bring us to the end. I'm sorry we've run out of time of our special <laughs> edition of Midori House. A huge thank you to all our guests, Diana Kloster, to Alex and to Andre, and of course to Christoph and Julius Wiedemann, who you heard from earlier. And thank you, Faye, for jumping in as well. Obrigado. A Brazilian <laughs> flavor at the end of the show. Uh, Fernando produced the program here in Milan alongside Daphne Carnesis. Our studio manager was Bill Luti. And back in London, the ship was steered by May Lee Evans. Thanks to Alex Port Felix as well. More music next at 2000 Milan time, 1900 London. It's The Entrepreneurs with Daniel Page. And we'll have more on the day's main stories and more indeed from here in Milan on the Monocle Daily at 2300 Milan time. We're back with this show at the same time tomorrow, the second of our special series from here at Salone. Do be sure to join us for that. But for now, from me, Tom Edwards, and all the team here in Tortona, goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>